you've got a, quite the steal on the entire exterior of this house. I remember that. Yes, I did. Well, I was first. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we are live, and uh, I see that we have Jay Martin listening, which uh, must be uh, somewhat important. Hello, Mr. Martin. Bonsoir. Okay, I'll remember that. He's going to remember that, so that's that's good. So, gee whiz. All right. So we've been uh, we've been waiting for the arrivals, and and here we are, lesson fifty-three. So, uh, anybody get a Bible? Oh, you've got just those little tiny things, but you and I, I have, have the real ones. paper Bible. Right, right. There you the go. Only one. Okay, they still so... still make Bibles and paper? <laughs> I'm sorry? They still make Bibles and paper? Well, they do. They just don't sell as well as they used to. So, Lesson 53, believe it or not, as, uh, as we pass the one-year mark, we're, uh, we're hitting First Peter tonight, and uh, unless, uh, unless it's different... Uh, Odd, unless there's something quirky, we'll uh, finish First Peter tonight as well. Five chapters there. So uh, just some administrivia before we begin. Uh, lesson 52 was the week before last, before I went up for the funeral in Rochester. And uh, while it did stream live, it did not get recorded and therefore could not be put on the oh. podcast. Uh, but those that did listen to it said it was great. I was here. It was great. Um, but for those of you who are listening to Lesson 53 now and wondering what happened to Lesson 52, uh, well, come visit next time. So there it is. Lesson 54 will not be next Tuesday. Uh, as uh, I was just saying before we went live that uh, we'll be driving down to Florida uh, to see my uh, father-in-law and uh, his wife, who's in the hospital now, after recovering from a stroke. So we'll be leaving after Havdala and driving down in the Tesla. So there it is. So you've got uh, plenty of time to prepare for Hebrews. Um, kind of excited about that. But tonight we're on First Peter. Um, we look at the first two chapters, and I, I get the question... Uh, comes to, to start us out with who did Peter write to? Or actually, if we don't dangle the participle, since Mr. Martin is listening, to whom did Peter write? So I always thought that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And um, that's sort of not really the case, I would imagine, since who is it that went to Cornelius? Who is it that got the... Uh, vision of the sheet, indicating that it was okay and Gentiles were not unclean, etc., etc., and this, of course, is all Peter. Um, but... And Paul did talk to Jews. And, yeah, yeah, and Paul did talk to Jews. In fact, every city he went into, that's where he started. So maybe we all have that backwards, and, you know, so that's the deal. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, it appears that Peter is writing to uh, folks that are exiles. And, of course, the exiles would be the Jews who were exiled. Todd? So between the word... Um, between the word exile and dispersion, it makes me think of the diaspora and makes me think of the people that are dispersed, dispersed outside the land. Absolutely. I mean... That's where I was going, and that's, that's what I started with. So, 
I put the little map in your uh, study guide so that you could see Asia Minor, right? And we've got uh, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Bithynia. This is the entire country of modern-day Turkey. Exactly, which mm -hmm. is the first missionary journey that Paul took. And to whom did he minister? Mm. Well, he started going to Jews and ended up a Gentile. And ended up a Gentile in every single town. That's exactly right. So uh, it's interesting, the word uh, exiles, um, or the Greek word that's translated as exiles, is only found, other than right here, is only found in the book of Hebrews. These all died in faith. This is the chapter of faith, right? Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they, the ones who died in faith, were strangers and exiles on the earth. So strangers and exiles versus sojourners and exiles. So I just thought we'd take a look at the book of Hebrews, since I was actually studying it when I wrote this. Um, strangers and exiles, he lists those. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. How many of them are Jews? Define Jews. Nah, I know you're you're tipping on the Abraham thing. Yeah, so it's a good it's a good point. I was going to help you by saying none. None. I think it is none. Yes. Um. So if we look at the elect exiles of the dispersion, as Peter calls them, the first reference, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and then the sojourners and exiles who need to watch their conduct among the Gentiles. Who's he, who's he trying to encourage here? Is it Gentiles living with Gentiles? Is it Gentiles living with Jews? Is it Jews living among Gentiles? Is it believing Gentiles? What, what is it? What do you think? I think I disagree with you. Okay. Um, based on how you took the lesson. Okay. Um, you had us look at a, num a number of different uh, references to darkness, which is one of the phrases here. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, All parallels. Most of which did refer to Gentiles. Most of which did. Uh, the Isaiah 9 reference, I think, pretty clearly refers to Israelites. It's this Galilee of nations, which is a Gentile term, but it's specifically talking about two tribes of, Israel. of uh, Israel that, unfortunately for them, kept getting, getting conquered by right, the nations. Right, right. So I, my view is... Um, this book, I, I would say, having read this, this today, might be, if it's not the most Jewish book of the Apostolic Scriptures, you would have to spend some time showing me which one is more. The book of Hebrews is not as Jewish as this book. This book is just filled with references and allusions, paraphrases, quotes, and and half the time your your uh, your English Bible doesn't even realize it's a quote. Right. They're looking through it and they go, eh, "That's cool. It's fine. Whatever." But I'm going, "Wait, that's definitely in the in the talk. I'm not exactly sure where, but it's somewhere in there. I read it before." Right. right. Um, I mean, Peter and the allusions he's making. I mean, he pulls out it, it, the the reference in First Peter two where you got the call out of darkness to marvelous light. Yes. Um, he starts by basically quoting from Exodus, mm -hmm. where he says, "Where where he says that." Um, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then later on he says, uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This phrase, people for his own possession, along with the, the priesthood reference, 
It's very similar to the phrase, this, the, the, the promise that God gives to the people of Israel right at Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. where he says, if you obey my commandments, mm-hmm. you will be a pearly priesthood. And, so on. and it says, the phrase they use uh, is the Am Segula, the treasured people right. amongst all the nations. Yes. And um, that phrase becomes like a, it's almost like a code word yes. for Jews. It's in the Friday evening prayers, the Chadori. Um, it's a term that's used uh, regularly by commentators and whatnot when you're thinking about like almost like a pet name for mm-hmm. Israel, the right. Am Segula. Right. So in light of all of that, yes. I think he's talking to Jews who live amongst Gentiles because the book is so Jewish and the, the references are also very Jewish. Even the ones where he says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy is literally a quote or almost a quote from Hosea which is talking to Israel. So I'm not going to argue with you or say that I think you're wrong because I think you're right. But here's here's the thing I want us to kind of contemplate. It is true that everything he says is applicable to Jews. I guess the question really is, Are these not also phrases that can be used of Gentiles, as Paul did, Hmm. come to faith and practicing Judaism? Is not the Israel of God, Jews and Gentiles, together in Messiah? Isn't there a unity now in Messiah that's made up of Jews and Gentiles? And I'm not trying in any way to disparage or put down Jews and and you know all that in the first place and I get all that but I'm just wondering if as we've seen Paul is amazingly Jewish as well is Peter writing generally since there were not a lot of Jews that were exiled dispersed in the same places that Paul went is it possible that Peter is giving us one of the best examples of how we can speak of believers and you don't really know whether they're originally Jewish or Gentiles who come to understand the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and have become believers in Messiah Yeshua. Is it possible? Yes. I think it is possible. Um, I think it's unlucky that that's the audience of this particular book. But I do agree with you that Paul deftly uses a lot of the same language in referring to Gentiles and that Peter would not have an issue with him doing so. I think that if you read this book, I do think the audience is the Jews, but I think that all of the stuff in it is applicable to us. The difference, I think the key is, when we think about it, it's almost like... Um, it's the reminder, I guess, that in order to be part of that people of God, to get these promises, to get these blessings, mm-hmm. you must join yourself to the Jewish people. That's the point. Right. It's not like, it's not like, because I think, I think so oftentimes in the church, we, we reappropriate these promises and blessings and titles and, and terms of endearment and say, well, this is for the people of God, generically, mm-hmm. and that's Jews and Gentiles and, you know, Asians and white people and black people and all, you know, all mixed together and it's great. Um, but 
I think the point that Paul is really getting at, especially in Romans 11, and certainly I think the direction I would take this book from Peter, is it's, it's the Jews. Now, if you want to join yourself to the Jewish people, connected to the God of the Jews, then you can be a recipient of all of this with the Jews. Some of the Jews have chosen to exclude themselves. Sure. But the, the starting point never changed. Agreed. But that's not what Peter's talking about. No, it's not. But I'm just saying, like, I want to emphasize that. Like, I agree with you that, yes, they can be united, but the, the language here is Jewish. With, I, go ahead. Um, if you're thinking like you're talking and you read it, it almost sounds like it. I don't know whether he's doing it or not, but it almost sounds like he's intentionally using Jewish language but including the Gentiles in and just sort of blending them in. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah, just that artfully he, blending, blending them together and, and saying, isn't it cool that you can sort of get lost in there and maybe, and it maybe you can't really tell the difference. Matter. Yeah, whether you're, yeah. you were born Jewish or you were born Gentile, but now we're one in Messiah, as Paul would say. And that's, that's more where I was going, that... He doesn't specify any Jewish name. He doesn't specify any Jewish cities. He's speaking to Gentile cities where there are Gentile communities in Messiah. And he's talking about a common faith. So, and we don't... Out of, all, out of all the communities, it was most likely these that had maybe the, the most amount of diversity, mm -hmm. Jews mm -hmm. and Gentiles. Sure, because in some of these places, Paul actually had some traction for a bit with the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in some and of those places... Was, as the further west he got, the harder it became, and when he crossed over into Macedonia, well, he, he got beat up pretty good. You I know, believe in Ephesus, wasn't it, um, didn't, isn't it, is it Ephesus that he had the... Oh, uh, the Ephesians? Well, that is the city of the Ephesians, but no, the um, wasn't that the, is that the one where where the Gentiles were actually part of the synagogue? Like even before Paul got there, yeah. there were already God fearers who were hanging out in the back cheap seats. Yeah, I think that was, it. and that was what was kind of the um, the issue for the Jews was when they they invited Paul to come back day two, and all of a sudden there were a whole lot more Gentiles there. They yeah. didn't like that. Yeah, it got it got a little upsetting. Uh, I'm reminded of when he was further down uh, in Corinth, and. The, the rioters are like, guys, have you not heard what's happened in all of Asia? All of Asia. This guy, you know, you know, he's just converting everybody. I mean, it's, we're, we're losing some money here. So, yeah, good. It's good discussion. He's on foot and he's traveling so quickly. Yeah, it's amazing how far. I think, I think if you and I were to go look at the map, just going across the, you know, the country of Turkey and then crossing, you know, a little bit on both, but yeah, mostly walking. That's uh, pretty amazing. Another interesting reference here in this passage, he has a reference, I think it's in chapter 4, where he says not to act like the Gentiles. Mm. Yeah, he says, for that time, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Um, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. 
So I think in that at first it's interesting because he does almost there's a couple passages of times where it almost feels like maybe he's talking to Gentiles only because they have the history. Why would the Gentiles expect the Jews to be joining them? Right. But he could also be writing to Hellenized Jews who could have also had a similar experience. Either way, as we were talking about earlier, the good side is the Jewish side. That's where all the language is. Daughter, uh, children of Sarah gets referenced here. All the, the quotes from Exodus, all of the passages. The Gentiles is the bad side. You know, that's not really who you want to look like. And, and, and I don't think there's a problem there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Gentiles... Right. Gentiles, you know, are pretty much either heathen or pagan. Right. No question about it. Which are actually two um, different categories. That's right. Second um, Peter, one one. What uh, What does your Bible have for that? My Bible. My says, Bible says. Yeah. You actually asked, "What does your Bible say?" Yeah. I had to you know, quote you there. Simeon, here. Shimon, yeah, you're right. Simeon. I'm actually reading my Bible. My Bible says, okay, yours is in English. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Neat. Exactly what says mine. Nice. That's actually literally what mine has as well. So my Bible. Your Bible says. Yeah. Uh, we don't have Jonathan here tonight. I don't know if he's listening online, but uh, uh, it would be uh, neat to hear the weird weird deal he's got because uh, he's always got Bouch, some kind of Bouge. yeah he's, he's got like a mix of um, King James King James and some other stuff there um, <laughs> there he is I've got Jonathan writing in here yes indeed so alright so Scott and uh, and the Martin young men are talking about alien disruptions in verse 1 uh, are equal to Jews and now uh, if we're assuming the first letter of Peter was written to the same folks as the second letter from Peter, which may or may not be true, we're not there yet, but, uh, and it was uh, quite a bit later that this was done. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Is it, it's not possible, is it, that that could be written to Jews? Is that possible? The only interpretation would be if the hours is referencing like the apostles, so saying those who joined our faith. Hmm. Hmm. But I do, I do think it looks more likely referencing Gentile. Gentilian, yes, of some. Which does contrast. Now, you you could argue that this is written to the same people, but it does contrast with how he introduces First Peter. Yes. It, I mean, the, this is. This is the, the two-edged sword of faith that we, in our community, hold fast to because it's got the righteousness of our God, yes, Torah, and Messiah Yeshua, both equaling the faith of which he speaks. Correct. And I do think that regardless of how you view the, the recipients of, of first fear, yeah. that nonetheless... As, we're, as we've been saying, the emphasis is so much on the, I mean, it, it is the people of Israel and the God of Israel and the Torah of Israel that are the definition of how you ought to behave, of how you understand God, yeah. of all of the system of theology. I mean, he's not quoting from another book. Correct. And, and I guess uh, 
Jonathan's uh, banging on verse 2, and I assume he's still looking at 2 Peter. Give me a second to see what he's got there. May grace be seen among the Yeah, yeah, no, I will. Uh, make sure 1 Peter 1 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, the Son, forgiveness for everything. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I guess. I guess my focus here was you know, to try and see it as a letter to believers, quote unquote. And your your historicity, your genealogy, didn't matter. If all Scripture is inspired and profitable, then whether this was written to Jews or written to Gentiles, I think the the whole "what about me" concept of this study is. Peter does not seem to be saying, well, if you're Jewish, you want to do it this way, and if you're Gentiles, right. you know, you, well, right. we're not really sure how you do it. There's none of that. No separation. So, correct. So no matter how we judge to whom this book was written, the message is still the same. And, and I think we're going to see here in a little bit here that there is an expectation of righteous behavior. So I did this little thing on born again here. I don't know if, uh, if that mattered to anybody, but I, I thought it was you know, kind of cool. Um, born again passage that's most famous, of course, is uh, John 3, you must be born again. Um, and that's actually better translated as born from above or born from the spirit. Um, born again, literally born a second time, is only found twice in the apostolic scriptures, and both of them are in this letter from Peter. So... Um, we look at uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Where am I? Chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, the Messiah Yeshua, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power have been guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time almost uh, paralleling the sentence length of Paul on a regular basis, but uh, that's a good one. Um, Do you notice, too, how often he seems to, um, it feels like he alludes to Yeshua's words in this letter? Like the way you just read, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which sounds so much like Yeshua's put it, make up your treasures in heaven, where that the moth, you know, rust does not decay, thieves do not break and yeah. steal, and the moth doesn't eat and yeah. destroy. Yeah. And there's um, the other reference we see, you know, not to act like you formerly did, like the Gentiles, which is also sounds a lot like Yeshua. When he's talking to Jews, he says, don't do, you know, this. The Gentiles, the Gentiles do that. don't do that. Come on. Yeah. So it's, it's like, exactly there's the, right. it's interesting how it feels like not only is Peter, I mean, like we talked about, just pulling one Jewish reference after another, quote after quote. Even this other verse here where he says, uh, you've not been saved, uh, knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not perishable things to silver or gold, which sounds like a stupid reference, really. In our modern times, we're like, who's, who's paying money to, to get eternal salvation? But actually, is a great reference from the parasha we just read. That's right. Because silver and gold are used well silver particularly right. is used as as the uh the, the atonement tax the half shekel yeah. 
um, when the, when the people are counted. Yeah. And it is actually an atonement, a physical one, not a spiritual yes. one. That's right. Um, so that you don't drop dead when God counts you. That's it. So um, but he contrasts that with the precious blood of Messiah, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, which is another sacrificial Hebrew Tanakh reference. That's right. So yeah, I, I like the I like the, the the term a Hebrew or Tanakh reference rather than Jewish reference. Right. Jewish is an acronym. Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. Yeah. So it's just amazing reading through this. I mean, I, it's so funny, and I think it's incredibly ironic that the Catholic Church claims Peter is the first pope yeah. because he was probably, I mean, just for reading this, I mean, he was oozing Jewish culture. No question. No question. Even verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I mean, it's, it goes right back, right, um, to a, an Abrahamic reference mm-hmm. there of the, mm-hmm. the whole seed and uh, imperishable and you know always have it so and then he immediately turns around that is so creative of him too he says to the living and abiding of god then he quotes from isaiah where it says all flesh is like grass for all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers right. the flower falls but the word of the lord remains forever and this word is the good news preached to you so he he takes just like paul he takes a reference talking about the prophecies of god right. to isaiah right and reappropriates it to the gospel um and saying that it remains forever and that's what you have that's it yeah imperishable i like it and even i sorry i just get i get caught up with right? this go, is go, so go, much go, fun go. with me yeah i just really enjoyed reading through this thinking about like all the connections he then goes into the cornerstone so we have the cornerstone um but one of the things that's really brilliant here he, he pulls together like multiple pieces here of cornerstone references. He strings the pearls, yep, yep. laying in Zion a, cor- a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, who believes in him will not be put to shame. Four. That's chapter 2, verse 4. Then chapter 2, verse, or 6, rather. Then chapter 2, verse 7, he flips around and says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So he's yep. used the cornerstone reference. Now he's gone to Psalms. He went from Zechariah to Psalms. Um, and then he says, and then he quotes a separate quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Right. Um, an interesting comment too, just a side note here. The term builders there, um, I think you could realistically use as a reference to the uh, to the authorities, sure. the Jewish authorities. I mean, then, you know, what 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 do we know of uh, uh, Shammai? You know, he's he's the guy standing there with the builders' cubit, right? And in the, smacking the Gentile. And in our our prayers for um, uh, what's the second? When we do on Shabbat, we don't have a minion. We normally do these. Uh, the Musaf prayers. prayers. Thank you. There is a there's a quote from one of the sages that references the word um, builders and specifically is in reference to Torah sages. Yeah. So, um, which is anyway, this is an interesting side note. But the point is though that like, I mean, he he launches out of all this cornerstone references, all just literally quotes into that Exodus reference about being a chosen nation and so on and so forth. Well, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's all over town. Um, I, I don't see it as a, like you were saying, as a as a Jewish thing or as a, as a Tanakh thing as much as, we have a rich faith. We do. It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly long, and there's a whole lot of history here that you should recognize. Paul does the same thing. He just strings it along with better and uh, sometimes more elaborate words um, to your stumbling point here at the back end of 1 Peter 2 8 
if in fact, and I, I agree with you that the builders and the, 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 the ones that stumble, the one the builders reject, and the, the builders being the focus here, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That's scary, mm. right? I mean, most yeah. of the time when we read about destined, you were destined, you were elect, you were chosen, you're special, we got you, you're here, everlasting. Mm. You're going to save us all. That's it. And now, well, they, they, were, they were destined to disobey. Host, totally, host, gone, without hope. Yeah, that kind of thing. That's, that's shocking. But it, it, it helps me to appreciate the sovereignty of God. I surely don't understand right. how how he could elect to damnation, how he could hate Esau and yet love Jacob, how he could not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation, but they were elect to damnation. I, I struggle with that. I'm My little brain is not God's brain, so I can't really comprehend that. But all I need to know is, evidently, I'm on the side... That's okay. Because if I weren't, I wouldn't care. And I probably wouldn't know. Possibly why we're to walk out of faith with fear and trembling. Uh, man. Yes, indeed. All right. Peter says that we should be holy in all our conduct. Uh, quoting from uh, Leviticus 11, which uh, the Master also quoted from. And uh, talks about how we purify our souls through... Obedience to the Torah. That's exactly right. Keeping the commandments. That's, that's what does it. It's nice that he quoted from Leviticus and trying to make that point. I mean, that's what I think is so funny to me. It's like, you know, you, you read this whole book, this whole, and it's like, if if there's somewhere else we're supposed to be going, he's not going there. That's right. That's right. Everything comes from the Tanakh. Everything comes from the Torah. Yeah. If, um, if, we're, if we're looking for a, a third reference that hasn't showed up yet, he's not bringing it. Well, we know, we know that, I mean, certainly the second Peter was written after Paul's been writing because he comments about Paul's yeah, writing. Yeah. Um, it's assumed so probably, probably after was, Paul died. Yeah, this, this book may also be later on. It's, it's based on the way we're reading it. Chronologically, it's Absolutely. much later. Yeah. Um, Peter's not quoting Paul here. Yeah. Not to say that we shouldn't quote Paul, but... Peter kind well, of alludes... He's, he's got the real argument. That he doesn't we need have. Paul. Right. He's got the argument that we should have. This is the guy who stood up on the, the, you know, the day of Pentecost on Shavuot and said, Men of Israel, are you stupid? Here's the deal. And he lays out an amazingly wonderful theological argument straight, straight from the Tanakh. Straight from the Tanakh. You know, you actually bring up a really good point because the more I think about it, the more I realize... It, it not just Paul is the one that's not getting quoted. It's, it's also, to some extent, Yeshua. There's not extensive, like, oh, I remember this one sermon. It was great. Let me write it to you. Right. Or, oh, man, the time that our master said this, it really stuck with me. Yeah, there's none of that stuff. There's really not, yeah. which is which, remarkable. Which is, which is shocking, knowing that Paul didn't spend any time with him. But he wasn't there, but he does quote him. Yeah. But Peter was there the whole time. He saw it from soup to nuts. 
Yeah. And you're right. It's like, guys, I can remember this one sunny day. We're walking right on the lake, and you... you there is a tradition that? that Mark is Peter's gospel. Because Mark is apparently yeah, yeah, yeah. connected to yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah. But still. So yeah. maybe he felt like he already got that out. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> could, yeah, so he's got it out of the system. Could be. But yeah, it's just, I mean, I think that is really interesting to know, though, because in, in some of these cases, it is talking about the fundamentals of faith. Mm-hmm. It's talking about the fundamentals of character traits. Mm-hmm. And all of mm-hmm. that does come to time. It's not like Yeshua... It's not like it's new. Right. It's not like it's new, and it's not like he's like, oh, man, we had no idea how to prove Yeshua is the Messiah until he came and told us this. Yeah. It's not that. It's like, That's well, right. no, we're using the same thing he mm-hmm. used to prove himself as Messiah. Exactly. Like, That's good. All yeah. his references. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great insight. Also, thinking about that Jewish-Gentile thing, verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentile honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Which, by the way, is actually quite a scary-sounding reference, the day of visitation. Um, well, that, isn't that Joel? Yeah, that, that's uh, the day Isaiah of the Lord 10. kind of thing. Um, but the, the thing I think is interesting here is um, Jews can speak badly by, uh, by Gentiles all the time. I mean, so it's interesting as you read through this book, as I was thinking about it, if it were written to Jews, um, lumping myself in the box with, with Israel... Use that oh, term. Oh, oh, yeah, um, that's good. Well, not, not that I. Then we agree. Not that I genetically <laughs> in that box, but right. uh, but uh, by God's but grace, have been crafted in. Right there, it is. Right. So that um, that it's so interesting to think about. Like, I don't know if we really think so much about persecution in the context of anti-Semitism, and I think that oh, sometimes true. you know we, we see it almost as like, well, if your if your pastor is getting a thousand people to come on every Sunday, he's not preaching the gospel. But if he's got people on the internet saying that he's spawn of Satan, then he must be true. You know, that's what we that's what, that's real persecution right there. And I was thinking here, it's like this this verse here, verse twelve, it says when they speak against you as evildoers, but talking about the Gentiles, he's not talking about the Jews that don't believe, that are critiquing you for believing in Yeshua. He's talking specifically about Gentiles. And I and I just really as I read through this book, there's so much ref, so many references to suffering well. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think that someone who starts this book written to the exiles, this book is almost like a, a manual for Jewish exiles for all time. I mean, it's full of suffering. That's true. That's true. It, it, it is possible, though, that if there were Jews who aligned themselves with Messiah Yeshua and were kicked out along with the Gentiles who were no longer allowed in the synagogues, then they are, in effect, exiled as well, even before the official exile in 166. Now, we know this was written well before that, probably in uh, 65, my my guess would be. Um, Interesting, uh, evildoers, I don't know, just a little Greek for you guys. Uh, Evil in, uh, is, is kaka. And, you know, if you've had kids, you know, sometimes... People use that you know, as a as a reference to uh, um, not not good stuff. So um, I think it speaks of what that means in Spanish. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yes. Is, was it that way? If is I in remember it correctly, I think that's a Spanish swear word. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there we go. So cacapoyas is the actual evil Jews, those who do the caca. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, it is it is interesting that. Uh, 
we could put together a exiled Jewish community, not exiled, because the dispersion, the true dispersion hasn't happened yet, right? right? So the dispersion, the exile that they belong right now, did not happen at this point. It didn't happen until, you know, 130, 140. Although there's a mysterious reference to some female in Babylon um, so it's possible that Peter is writing people who are still exiles, quote-unquote, from the Babylonian exile. Because we know that about half or less than half of the Jews came back yeah. um, after Much that. Less than half, that's why he ended up with the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem sure, yeah, yeah, Talmud yeah, yeah. and so forth. But it, I, don't, I don't know if that's... All I'm saying is... I, I'm just saying that John I'll, uses a Babylon reference several times. I don't think he's talking about Babylon. I mean, not, then, not the Babylon then, that's for sure. And not but the Babylon then. I think that the, the, only, the only reason I guess I brought up the anti-Semitism thing is I think that sometimes those of us who who, who grew up on books like this one, grew up in a good Bible-believing church and read yeah. these books, and yeah. you think of you know being persecuted as Christians, which is a phrase that's used in this text. Right. Um, and, you, and, and I think it's so easy to, to, to separate that out from what happens to Jews for being Jewish. Because you know it's interesting, anti-Semitism more often than not, when it does rear its ugly head, it ends with persecuting all Jews, but it starts by persecuting religious ones. Sure, the ones you can see, the, the ones who are wearing the kippah, right. the ones who had the seat seat, and, and going to synagogue. And you and I have talked about how in the past, prior to to walking this walk, we would never even feel any of that persecution. Right. And yet, you know, here I am standing in my brother's home last week. And I got introduced to a man, and the man almost ignored me. Shook my hand, said hello, and then turned away from me and turned to my brother in front of me, in the same room, two feet away from me, and said, Is your brother Jewish, Fred? So I turned to the guy next to me and said, didn't he do that well? He didn't want to put me on the spot, so he asked my brother. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a, nice, a nice, neat way of doing that. But really, what, what was it? But a veiled, anti-Semitic reference, wondering how... I mean, you let him in the house? You know, or whatever. But anyway. Yeah, that's my point, is to say that like... We, we, don't, we don't necessarily, normally experience or feel that we don't but i think that we should i think that we should feel that 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 simpatico with the jews who suffer from anti-semitism yeah, yeah. not only it. not only to say because anti-semitism is terrible but to feel that like this is in a similar category to the persecution the christians suffer for their belief in yeshua because basically it's the same spirit of darkness that's it's, it's attacking the it's people of god yeah, i agree that's exactly right and we will, if we are keeping the Torah and look like them, we will suffer anti-Semitic uh, persecution at some point in the future based on the way things are going. Regardless of how things are going, I think the scripture is clear that at some point, unless the Lord would return and this time of darkness be cut off or cut short, there might no flesh be saved. I, I'm just thinking... I'll probably be dead because I'm much older than you, but you're probably, all three of you, going to be here and putting up. I'll laugh about it while you're gone. <laughs>
All right, so let's take a look at uh, 212 to 312 just very quickly. Um, we've kind of, kind of walked through this. Um, I noticed a couple things that I was walking through it, so let's just kind of start up at 12 there. Um, keep your conduct honorable. Uh, I think uh, Joshua's done well with that. In 13, subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governors and so forth. What does that sound like? Romans. Chapter. Come on. 14. I thought it was earlier than that. I thought it was 13. Oh, no man, anything. And, you know, human institution. All right, 12, 13, 14. It's Romans. in that block. Yeah. Either way, it's Paul, and it's, uh, it's a back end of uh, Romans. Sure. Um, and, of course, the same thing that Paul said with, hey, you know, they don't wield the sword for nothing, right? Hmm. Um, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should, be put to, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Paul did the same thing, right? You know, don't, don't use your freedom in Messiah as, as a license to sin. It's, that's just horrible. Living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That's interesting. I, I just, I didn't expect that. Um, I just don't know. That seems not to be consistent with a, a Jewish flavor in my mind. I just don't recognize that word. You know, maybe, maybe let me, let me do a quick search. Yeah, nobody in the Bible uses that word except Peter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he uses it here in chapter Greek 2. Greek is not his first language. Yeah, right. And he uses it in chapter 5. So, um, so the brotherhood thing is kind of weird. Um, fear God, honor the emperor, back again to Paul and, and that. Uh, that word showed up a lot, and I was surprised. Which one? Honor. Yeah. Honor, respect. Um, it shows up with servants. It shows up with us in the government. Shows up with us with each other. Yeah. Shows up with spouses, some of the younger people to older people. I mean, it. it he. I, I would say, with the exception of long suffering, which seems to be the theme of this book, mm -hmm. honor and respect were the next character traits that showed up the most, more than love, which I thought was really interesting because I don't really think about any any other book in the Bible that really emphasizes that point, the significance of honoring one another that humility of seeing people and respecting them of, of also respect people who have position of authority over you yeah especially in today's society that's yeah. pretty rare you've got a point there um Dima'o is uh, is greek here and and it it brings this connotation of of, of weighing hmm. counting i'm i'm i've uh, you know it's it's almost like that reference back to the tanakh where uh You've been weighed in, in the balance and found wanting kind of thing. It's almost that kind of thing that there's already been a predetermination that you've done mentally to say, I've weighed this man mentally and find him worthy of honor. Hmm. And, and therefore, my conduct demonstrates a respect. That's what this word's all about. It's a, it's a, it's a predetermination. It's a, hmm. a calculation uh, on, on someone's on, on the response that you'll give someone. Mm -hmm. And I've met some folks like that that mm -hmm. have, have obviously chosen to demonstrate deference, to, to put themselves behind you, to take this, the, the lesser seat and, and so forth. And 
I'm, I'm always, I'm always taken by that, that this is a deliberate thing. This isn't an accident. This isn't a, a one-off. This is a character trait that they have that they do honor people, that they do put others before themselves, a, a true humility. Mm -hmm. um, that's cool. And, and it's good. And you're right. I, I just wonder, though, if we haven't seen this before in Paul's writings. Just that it's constantly. Agreed. Right? Yeah, it's Agreed. definitely there. Um, I've thought of the, the younger men honoring the elders. Exactly. Right? Like you know, even husbands, you know, with their wives. Right. Their wives with right. their husbands. You know, right, right. Slaves and their masters. There's definitely the same concepts. I just think it was just surprising to see it over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a theme that I think you see as often in Scripture, especially in the apostolic writing, so much as love-based, so, so, which is so very important. But. So, so I would... I would second guess your focus of the book being long suffering. I would torque it just a little bit. Let's keep going and we'll come to a conclusion on that. Oh, real quick, on your point about the honoring, yeah. you, you compared it to, to weighing something, yeah. which is very interesting because the term for glory in Hebrew it's is heavy, kavod, yeah. which is heavy. Yeah. So it's almost like a, a weird yeah, Greek spin off yeah, you're, you're, of the you're, Hebrew you're concept. You're giving this guy, not that you need to work on the carbs, you know, but you're. Associating a heaviness or a kavod, a, a it's almost like like if you it's like if you think about it, if you if you pick up a piece of furniture and it's from IKEA, you could probably pick it up by yourself. If you pick up a piece of furniture and you go, whoa, I, I need to call Gregory to come help me move this. Yeah, that is a nice piece of furniture. That's exactly, and right. you know it's nice because it's heavy. It's heavy. It's got the weight. That's good. <laughs> That's good. All right, so we continue to go down here. Um, he's got the suffering stuff in there. I grant you that. Um, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's a cool deal. Now we go back. Likewise, we subject your husbands. You know, that kind of deal. And it's uh, that's a very common word in the scriptures, the hupatasa. And then down in seven. Husbands, likewise, subject to wives. Um, do you want to get into the women as a weaker vessel, or do you just want to pass on that one? What is the Greek there? Is well, it like do you more want weaker, fragile? Do you want weaker, or do you want vessel? What is it together? Um, the the weaker word, asthenes, is without strength, weak, or infirm, helpless, imperfect, inefficient, feeble, without energy. Um, but this is how the word is translated in the Bible. It's not necessarily what it means. What it means is without strength. Oh, literally, weaker. Literally, without strength, yeah. Um, and then uh, the vessel is... Uh, oh. Skew us. I didn't realize that. It is? Oh, well, it's just a, a utensil... Um, not, not unlike as we read in the, in the, in the Torah, um, if, if you've uh, got a, a clay bowl and some dead body or a piece of body dies, you know, falls in there or a piece of lefty stuff kind of deal, you know, you smash it, just smash it. But if this thing, this, this, uh, this bronze bowl or something touches the altar, this is a vessel of honor now. It's going to stay there. You're not going to use that anymore. That vessel, it's something that can be used either for honorable or dishonorable. Same deal. It's, just, it's the same word. I didn't realize what it was. Um, 
But um, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That is kind of interesting because in the other passage in uh, I guess it's Corinthians where Paul talks about mm-hmm. a very has very similar wording. Sure. There it, he doesn't. I don't remember him specifically using vessel, but he talks about washing with the word. That's right. Which goes back to you need, your yeah. vessel reference mm-hmm. in the Torah. That's right. Depending on what happened to the particular vessel, one of the ways of purifying it is with water. That's right. You depending wash on what it's made right. out of. Or, right. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. It's either that that's or good. fire. But yeah, that's kind of interesting that they um, both play off of that. Yeah. Describing lives. Other comments on that one? Is it a chauvinistic comment? I think it's interesting to me, actually, as I read through this passage again, I realized that it could come off two completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to a woman as the weaker vessel. Good refer- reference, um, be strong for your woman, you know? She's, she's vulnerable and weak, and you've got to be there for her. It could also be, be the, you know, be the bigger man, and yeah. you have a strong-willed woman who speaks her mind from time to time, and you just have to learn to take it sometimes, you know, or listen to her, okay. whatever. But I'm saying, like, I thought as I thought it more about it, I realized, it that, like, it could go either way depending on who, the type of personality you have and the type of personality she has. Almost like, it's like not... It's almost like it's a one-size-fits-all attitude, but not a one-size-fits-all act action application. Okay. How you do it may look different from one couple to the next, simply because of the way that God has set up the personalities in that relationship. But the the, uh, the approach that you should have will look the same. Okay. Um, Scott has said um, that it doesn't say that the wife is weaker, but just that we should live with her in an understanding way. As you would with someone who is weaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was kind of the way that I read it. Not that it was pointing out they are the weaker vessel, but it was pointing out our response to them. Yes. Now, I agree with that. And regardless of the personalities, I think that we should respond that way. Because if there's a problem in the marriage... Fix it. It's your fault. Fix it's your it. fault. Fix it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so this this is where that comes from, right? That we're to tr- you know, to treat her as the weaker vessel. She may not be the weaker vessel. You know, my wife is by far and away more, much more spiritual than I am, and hears from God much sooner than I do, and is more sensitive to the spirit than I am. But when it comes to dealing with her, my responsibility, my demonstrated love for her and for my God is to treat her as the weaker vessel and to, and to care for her. It, I liken it to a vase. One of those vases that you don't want the kids to play with, go near or even think about or even look at hard. Because it's expensive, it's extraordinarily delicate, and it's beautiful. And if we don't treat it right, it will be damaged. That, to me, is what the Greek is trying to exude to us. Yeah. Does that make sense? That, it makes sense to think of it that way in light of the fact that 
the ideal is a woman of valor, which almost sounds like the opposite of a weaker vessel. You know, pointing out the fact that, like, well, no, we're not calling women a weaker, weaker vessel. vessel. We we're talking them, about our response. We treat them as a weaker vessel. Right, right. right. Exactly. I mean, you still would treat a, an Eshed Chayel as, as he's describing here. Yeah. And, That's and, still and perhaps even more so. And, well, and, yeah, exactly. And who's the illustration? Sarah. I mean, that's the funny part about this passage. Some people, have used, her husband Lord. Some yeah. people have used this passage to imply like women should be basically, you know, mute around their husbands. Don't don't speak unless spoken to. And it's like that was not who Sarah was. Yeah, did you catch a couple right. of things that Sarah was saying? Yeah. Yeah. But you need whatever to get this girl out of here, whatever she says, you do it. You yeah. do it. And that's and that's what I was saying earlier. Is it's like as I read through this passage this year, I thought to myself, okay, so it comes in different packages, but it, but the but the intent is the same. And, and you're right. She, she isn't weak. Sarah is very strong. But Abraham treated her with that gentleness and that delicacy. I mean, it reminds me, not necessarily agree with everything he has to say, but um, Shalom Arush's comments on marriage. Yeah. And his argument, which I think he takes a little too far, but his point, though, he's trying to get is not a bad one, just to say that um, because of the delicacy of women, you have to be very careful in how you treat them because you can do um, significant damage untold damage even when you don't mean to that's right because you're adult yeah because of something that. that you said so it's like so it's like to be very careful about like when and how you critique something that she does or yeah. how, you know a lot of those types of issues and it's like and I think about uh, it's like like we were saying earlier it's like with your wives in an understanding way it doesn't necessarily mean you're dealing with the fact that you know she's wishy-washy and weak and she can't make up her mind it may very well be that she has to do with the fact that she speaks her mind all the time. That's right. You know, but either way, it's your fault. Fix it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just an understanding of the weaker vessel part of this, though. I, I don't know why. Would you call or refer to your mother to me as a weak woman? Or would you find her to be one of the strongest women and coolest women that you ever met? Well, she is my mom. That's not relevant to the answer. She is really awesome. She really is awesome. You know, a lot of the men in this room, I would I would venture to say, I can't speak for your father, but I bet you the other guys would say the same thing. Is there a better way for you to respond to your mom when she gives you some correction than perhaps another way? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Your mother says, Hey, you have your t-shirt on the floor. Pick it up. Is there a better way to respond than another way? Or is every way you speak to her equally valid? Have you ever said something to your mother in a tone where your father said, don't speak to your mother that way? Many times. Okay. <laughs> I saw that look. So, and I understand that look. So that's what we're talking about. It's that in the same way that we've done that pre-measuring to determine, I want to honor this man. I have mm -hmm. found him to be worthy of honor. And I've predetermined that that's how I'm going to treat him. Mm -hmm. That's what this is saying in a special way about the wife, which you should think of right now about as about your mom. There are certain ways that you would speak to your mother that are completely inappropriate because they're the way that you would speak to your friends or other people that aren't your mom or when you're later in life that aren't your wife. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's that kind of deal. I'm getting it now. Um, Josh was using the word 
delicate. Yeah. Treat that person with honor. Treat them delicately. Treat them. A, a special kind of honor that has that delicateness to it. Um, I'm, I'm even reminded of, uh, wow, this is a long time ago. Five or fifty years ago, I, uh, <coughs> I was admonished by my father. I had uh, I had spoken harshly, spoken harshly to my mother, and then followed by speaking harshly to my father. And he made it abundantly clear, in no uncertain terms, that he was not my friend. He was my father. And the two were not on the same footing. That has obviously stuck with me for a very long time. But that's that's what we're talking about. Does it make sense? Yeah. So when you, when you get married, remember that. Because it doesn't help to win an argument and lose the marriage. It doesn't help to win the argument and damage what is part of your own flesh at that point. And, and that's, I think, where he's coming from is, and, and that's where, where Scott's comment was, is that she, it's not that she is a weaker vessel. That's how we treat her, as a delicate flower that needs to be cared for and, and, and dealt with deftly. Scott? That was excellent. I just, another example I was thinking of is in the workplace. You know, you've got, like, you've got somebody that, potentially a higher up versus somebody that's maybe not uh, as, as high of, of a position. And Employer. Employee. Yeah, and when yeah. I think of like honor, it's like you would show honor to both the high up position and the lower position as yeah. if both were worthy of the honor. That's you true. Know, even, yeah. if, uh, even if they were in different positions. But it's kind of like there are some people that that you might work with, where you, you know you get the, you get the comment, "Why well, you to talk tell so and so about something we didn't go so well, whatever?" It's like use the kid gloves, you know. They don't respond too well if you come on too strong. Yeah, somebody's in here don't react well to bullets. Right. So it's kind of I think it's kind of the same idea we're talking That's about exactly the wives right. here. That's right. By the way, um, kid gloves are soft. Yeah. Leather. Yeah. Okay. Baby, baby cows. Yeah, baby cows. A lot of people don't have them. Um, so I'm going to, for sake of time, I'm going to skip over uh, 313 to 419, which talks about the suffering part. I think uh, a couple of us already mentioned that. I really want to get into this meddler's deal. Um, mm. So let's take a look at uh, 415. Um, I, I think this is, uh, could be something you could take home. It could be uh, a life-changing kind of thing. Um, but chapter 4 and verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer... I would hate that. Or a thief. That's bad. Or an evildoer. Got a boy. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, or as a meddler. And I'm flabbergasted. I mean, that's just, come on, are you kidding? Um, this is it for that. It's the only one. 
But Paul uses a similar phrase, three of those letters. So let's uh, let's read those out real quick. Um, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands, as we instructed you out of 1 Thessalonians 4. And then uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3, the next uh, book uh, or letter, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Hmm. And then finally, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busy bodies saying what they should not out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we take a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and we've got uh, those admonitions but what do you what do you think about the meddling thing? This money or affairs busy body. What's your what's your thought? Why would this be lumped in with murderers? Thieves, evildoers, meddlers. I feel like you hear similar things throughout the Proverbs, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like grasping a dog by his ears to, like, yeah. throw yourself into, you know, an argument that wasn't your own. And, yeah. you know, it, Proverbs, I feel like, references over and over again that you just stay out of other people's business, uh, that you don't look for quarrels, that you don't look for opportunity for strife, but yep. then in, in the same vein, when you referenced some of the, it, uh, some of the references paired it with gossip. Right. So right. we're looking at Lush and Hara there. That's exactly right, which Lord is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, do you remember in uh, the back end of uh, Timothy when we were doing that, um, Paul, is, uh, Paul is talking about, yeah, hey, hey, stay away from these people. They're constantly trying to argue about stuff. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't learn anything. They're just doing it to argue. Okay. And cause trouble for fun. Yeah. Mess with people. Yeah. Just getting here. Yeah. How would you describe a bu busybody today? Trolls. Trolls. Mm. Mm. So you, you thought it was interesting that the reference was with murder and thieves yes. and evildoers. Yes. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven, seven. that are an abomination. <laughs> Haughty eyes, a yeah. lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, sounds like a lure, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among, among brothers. brothers. Oh, yes. Sounds like a meddler to me. Yeah, it's a meddler. Scott has brought up, uh, yeah, well, they just, <laughs> now they read the previous thing. Um, my mom is super awesome. Uh, probably writes Joshua, the J. Martin reference there. It could be Josiah. It could be Josiah. That's true. It could be Josiah, right? Could be yeah. Jamaica. Yeah, <laughs> Jamaica. That could be him. Um, Romans one twenty nine. Why don't somebody look up uh, that for me? Um, Romans one twenty nine. Yeah, Mr. Martin has quoted that. I, I like uh, I like that. And it, am I not mistaken? But in our last class, did that not get quoted by Alex? I think maybe we should all just, just memorize that bad boy. Spend right? some time on that one? Yeah. But, but, but like to Greg's comment earlier, talking about the and Hara, the evil speech, um, the sages equate that with murder yeah. over and yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it, the, part of the reason for that is it's in the same context 
of shedding innocent blood in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. So it, they, they say it's, you know, they're close together, so they're talking about a similar concept. So Paul, or Peter in this case, is not, um, he's not, he's not, this isn't his drum to beat, that he just mm-hmm. thinks this is a really big deal, I should probably put that in there. Yeah. Um, he's not the only one who sees being in the midst of somebody else's stuff and causing problems when he'd be caused, you know, talking behind somebody's back about something that somebody else did as the equivalent of murder and theft and all sorts of other sins. Yeah, that's good. Good. Yes, sir. What, what's, what do we got there? Romans chapter 1 and um, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are, they are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. And it goes on into verse 30. Yep. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, yep. haughty, boastful. So the gossips are lumped in with the murderers. Yeah. Well, there it is. Okay. Well, let's take a look uh, and close up with uh, chapter 5. It's interesting to me um, that the shepherd references in this book is more more often than I thought. Did you notice that too? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he, he starts with the elders here and then, you know, shepherd the flock. And then when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Again, back to that relational uh, aspect there. Humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties, resist the devil, and so forth, um, and eternal right. glory. And verse 6 I have highlighted because I feel like it's one of those great verses that encapsulates like the two polar opposite truths that we as men ponder. And it's like on the one hand you have pondering and, and considering the mighty hand of God boom, boom, as boom, ruler, boom. as king, yeah, yeah. As, you know, as sovereign. And then he ends that verse by saying, because he cares for that's like a very fatherly reference, yeah. you know? And Judaism is excellent about applying those appropriately in our walk when we need it, you know? When we're feeling a little hot, like hot stuff, you know, that's the time to remember God's mighty hand. And when we're feeling overwhelmed, yeah. it's at that point where verse 7 kicks in, where it's Amen. like, no, no, cast it all on God because he cares. For that's, that's good. That's a great way uh, uh, to close up the... Uh, the theme. Is it? I'm sorry. Put it all together. There you go. Okay. I I think long suffering is is a is I mean you get two fairly significant passages in there where he's talking about suffering. So obviously some of that's going on, and you know of course we we look back in history and see that that's the case. Um, but I find that there's it, I think two passages where the suffering is focused, but three where I see him 
talking about our behavior, our behavior amongst one another, being humble, deferring to uh, the uh, others and so forth, and our behavior among Gentiles and so forth. And I, I just really think how we act is really what he wanted to really focus on. How you act when you're under pressure and you're suffering. How you act when you're dealing with one another. How you act when you're amongst non-believers. How you act when you're among other believers. How you act when you're with your wife. How you act to government authorities and you know Caesar and shepherds and so forth and, and so forth. And I just, I, I saw this, this whole letter as a great encouragement to a non-Jew who has joined himself to Judaism and, and we've got all these references to stuff that I'm supposed to know now. I'm supposed to recognize that these came from the Tanakh because he doesn't say that I shouldn't know them. He doesn't say, like you said, there's, there's no other reference book that he's got. This is all from the Tanakh. It's just, it's, and a lot of it from the Torah. So it, to me, it was, it was an encouragement to get my act together and watch how I act. Because there is a shepherd who's watching everything I do all the time. And when this is all done, there's an unfading crown of glory just waiting for me when Messiah returns. Final comments? Is he focused on how to act with different people because he's been called out on how he was acting with different people? Yeah, maybe, maybe he, he's learned he, that. Oh um, yeah, he did get, overcome he, that. And he did get dinged there, didn't he? Well, you know what I think I was gonna say. I, my comment was that along those lines, his his statement saying he keeps referencing sheep, which is an odd reference for a fisherman, except for the fact that perhaps the most poignant comment that Yeshua made to him was, "Feed my sheep." After he had the three time denial and Yeshua's giving him a chance to sort of yeah. apologize and make up for that. That's the command. Yeah, that's the, that was the bottom line to him. That feed was my the sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Yeah, care for my sheep, yeah. care for my lambs. So when he references shepherd the flock of God that is among you, I mean, you can almost <laughs> know what he's thinking That's about. right, that's right. And uh, and so, yeah, it is kind of cool like that. It's like he's he's playing off his own stuff. We think about humility and gentleness. I mean, Peter was one of the feistiest disciples. Yeah, you know, yeah and it's, absolutely. He's one to cut the guy's ear off. And it's like, That's you know, right. it's like, oh, you're right. I think he almost feels like, an, you know, the, it's almost like the, the recollections of, a, of an older man who's looking back on some of his life and, and, and wanting the people he's speaking to to not make the same mistakes he made. That's good. I like that. I think as he got older, though, he would also recognize that our behavior amongst non-believers can have a dramatic impact. I know he saw that with Stephen. Right? I know that he's watched that with Paul and so forth. So Jonathan closes us with Genesis 49:24. He shepherded the stone of Israel. And there we have it. That was good. That was good. So uh, get into uh, the next two or three lessons are going to be in Hebrews. Um, there's not a lot of halakha there, so we're going to you know, zip through a bunch uh, pretty quick, but I'd like you to you know, just read the letter. Um, it's, uh, it's a you think your Savior's good, you ought to check out mine kind of thing. Um, <laughs> my Savior's better than your Savior deal. 
uh, just a whole better than argument over and over again. So we'll look at that. Um, again, we will not uh, will not meet this Tuesday night because I'll, uh, I'll be in Florida. Um, I suppose we could meet, um, but it would be weird. So we're not going to meet. No FaceTime? Yeah, we'll FaceTime, Zoom, iPad, any of that stuff. Yeah, have a little, you know, talking head here. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to work. But uh, if you would, pray for, uh, pray for me, pray for my wife as we minister to her father. And uh, pray for uh, my mother-in-law's health to uh, improve quickly, soon, and in our days. Gregory, you want to, uh, you want to close us in prayer? Absolutely. You, have you practiced? Or you, okay, <laughs> okay, just check. Yes, uh, I, I, yes, yes. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. What a privilege it is to study together, to learn together. We are so grateful that you have filled us with your spirit, that you've called us to yourself to learn, to see insights here, and to apply it to our life. We pray, Father, that the light of Yeshua would shine through us yes, throughout sir. this week. Thank you. And everywhere we go, we pray that the lessons and the insights that we've learned from these beautiful scriptures would stick with us and would come to memory quickly throughout this week. Mm. We pray, Father, that you would bless this household for opening up to hospitality, opening up to words of Torah being spoken and being studied. We pray for safe travels as my father-in-law travels to Florida and ministers to pop up. And we pray for, for healing for those that are sick this week especially. And we are so very grateful for your love and for your care for each and every one of us as you protect us everywhere we go. All these things we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much.